0: Released on Sunday, October 8th, 2017.
1: This Agile Life, episode 132,
2: Stockholm (laughs)
3: Syndrome?
1: The software industry transforms more and more every
0: day.
3: Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones.
0: The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile
3: Life. Hi, I'm John Sexrow. And I'm Lee McCauley. Hi, I'm Nate Mackey. And I'm Amos King. All right, we're back together. Episode 132. This week, we didn't have a deep tease, and I know Amos was real disappointed that there was <laughs> no deep tease. Uh, so it, in, for everyone in the listening audience, you can give us some feedback because you know how much we enjoy feedback being an Agile community and an Agile show we always view feedback as a gift and we love opening presents. So send us your feedback and let us know, do you like the deep teas or hate the deep teas?
1: So oh. I will say that we did get one piece of feedback uh from uh Ben P. Uh I think you you got it too, John, right? Yes. He he, he listened think, to yeah. one of our recent episodes and uh was a little disheartened when we uh when we said that uh that we weren't sure if we had listeners and that kind of thing, and so he he gave us some really really good feedback that said, "Please don't stop basically and that was really nice of him so uh so thanks, Ben. so we have one we have at least one, and he says he's drag <laughs> he's dragged uh, pe- uh, people from his uh from his team when he's driving in the car long distances between offices uh, that he he forces them to listen to.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so he basically kidnaps them into listening to the show. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, whatever hey. it takes. That's what those characters
2: say? Is it Munchausen syndrome where you uh, start to feel good about your captors? Is that what that is?
0: No, no, no. no. That's <laughs> <the> Stockholm
2: syndrome. <laughs> Stockholm. Stockholm. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. So I'm good. Munchausen is they, when
0: you. Hurt your children because you feel like you need to be needed as a
2: mother. So, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> so that's what he's doing to them. He's
1: Doctor Freud.
3: It's Stockholm syndrome. That, that would probably be the title of the show. Stockholm syndrome.
2: You have Stockholm syndrome because your mother has Munchausen. <laughs> Gosh
1: how how terrible would imagine what that would be <laughs> okay that uh, that really got off in the wrong direction <laughs> welcome
3: to the DSM4 podcast where we talk about <laughs> mental illness <laughs> as it relates to amos no actually this week we have we have a great topic even though we didn't deep tease it but nate nate has uh has has a a, a situation i will call it a theoretical situation that he wants us to kick around and discuss tonight and see if we can share some insights. Nate, what's going on?
0: Yeah, so um, as some people know, we uh, several of us work at Asynchrony, uh, uh, Worldwide Technology Asynchrony Labs. Um, that, that is a place that does, um, does custom software development for various customers, and we do it with an agile flavor uh, as much as we possibly can. Uh, in this case, we were asked to uh, create a couple of teams, one to maintain a current uh, iOS mobile application and one to rewrite an Android application from the ground up. And they also have a web application that supports the same uh, activity for a large customer. So. We uh, we put together our teams. We have you know one that that was doing maintenance on a, a pretty bad code base and doing the best they could. We had one that got to actually start greenfield, do things right, um, put a lot of quality and testing into the application. They have some pretty amazing. Uh, automated user acceptance test. It's something we show off constantly because it's really, it's really cool. They've got them up on a wall, and you can see all the Android devices running. It's really awesome. So well, and the
1: and the, Andro- and
0: the wall is made out of Legos. That's true. I should have mentioned that.
2: I need to stop <laughs> by the office.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so it's a really, it's a, it's a great example of what we can do, and uh, it went from a, you know. Ninety-three to ninety-five percent crash-free to being ninety-nine point, you know, several nines crash-free over time. And uh, they they love our team, they love our innovation, they love our quality, they love what we've been producing for them. They constantly say that we have the highest-performing teams of all of their uh, teams in the company. However, um, they are you know in the process of trying to move more toward agile processes and. Uh, the teams that they already had were really not quite as mature as, uh, as these teams were. And our teams were doing, you know, the full um, Kanban style, continuous flow, uh, very responsive, uh, but not necessarily, you know, assigning story points, and that kind of thing. Just getting things done, trying to create, um, you know, relatively similar sized uh, features or stories, nothing too big, you know, working through it, looking at cycle time. And the other teams that they had were doing more the story point style, the time boxing, uh, the kinds of, that's kind of the, the core uh, agile or scrum style. And uh, our customer wanted all of their teams to operate the same way. So they started asking our teams to do things more like what their current teams were doing with the story points and the time boxing, um, which is fine. It's not that it's terrible, it's just that we found better ways of, of getting things done that are. More flexible, we find them to be uh, uh, produce a better product, and it's been kind of frustrating for our folks, especially to, to be told, you know, you guys are the are, you know the best team we have, but then at the same time, we want you to change and and be like these other teams because it's easier for us to manage, it's easier for us to uh, understand where things are, to time things to happen at the same time, that kind of thing. So I just wanted to talk about that situation and see uh, what you all thought about. Uh, about that does that make sense is there a better way is there something we should be pushing back on what's your thoughts
3: on that so who wants to take a stab at this first
1: so i want to kind of probe a little bit further on this the cuz sometimes what the customers tell us is the reason is not necessarily the reason why they ask us to do stuff so i want to make sure that we're not fooling ourselves um because i've also I've also seen uh, several instances where uh, a team may be performing really well as far as the software they're building, but they're not providing enough information uh, for a large organization to be able to figure out their yearly budgets or what their project plans are going to be from a higher level that seems sometimes that's lacking Um, and so they end up uh, imposing uh, stricter um, and in some cases uh, things that are going to be harmful uh, regulations on the team and I'm wondering is it possible that that's what's happening here or is it really what you think it is Nate and uh, they, they really just want um a consistency
0: I think there's something to that. I think that uh, they wanted the the good feelings, the, the good vibes that come from having uh, estimates over a two week period, and uh, feeling like that that gives them more control over planning and and um, coordinating all of their different groups. Not sure if it if it works that way, really, as well as it's it seems like it would, but I think there's probably something to that, and there also may be something too that our team could have been doing a better job giving them information, and we did we did play around with is there a way for us to keep doing things the way we were doing them and still satisfy their you know their need for information. Uh, but we weren't able to find a good way to do that uh, that that they were happy with they really they wanted to feel like they could talk to everybody in terms of uh, commitments and story points and you know and iterations and, and that kind of that's that was important to them to do so um, it was hard to hard to know if there was another option that we had or if it was just more information we could give them but there it certainly could have uh maybe there was something we could have done to give her a give them a better feeling about the way we were doing it, and whether there was a way for their other teams to adopt more of the the style we had versus the other way around
3: well, then that was going to be my my question Nate was if they considered instead of having uh this team that was the higher performing of all the teams morph and change into the way that their other teams were running if they thought of it in from the the flip side. And thought about changing their other existing teams to operate more in the way that our team was operating.
0: Yeah, we didn't get a lot of visibility into that. Uh, It could have been the other teams pushed back against it, weren't happy with that, weren't willing to accept it, didn't understand it, whatever it was. I I don't have a lot of um, you know we didn't we didn't push hard on that kind of thing because we're you know we're the one providing a service, and so we want to. Give our customers uh, that consideration, but that, that's not sure what was going on there. It's it's well, possible that we could have moved to that.
2: And how many how many teams do they have outside of this your, your team? Um, like it-
0: you know what? You know now that I mention it, the 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 other teams, many of the other teams that they have are like offshore, um, outsourced work, and that may have been a reason why. Uh, it didn't make sense to try to change them over to a more—I don't know what to call it—a different kind of style of, of doing agile development. They were maybe a little more set in this is how we do things, and it's a little harder to get them to change. But uh, to answer your question, I think they have um, of the of those groups that they, there's probably you know uh, fifty to seventy five developers that make up you know another. I'd say 5 to 8 teams.
2: So so there could be that pressure too is that it's a lot easier to get one team to change than to get eight.
0: Absolutely, yes.
3: I wonder Nate if they will consider over time and maybe over the course of a couple sprints or iterations or whatever it is they're doing if they will consider and and keep metrics on how how things change with the way the team performs the the asynchrony team performs. Does it stay the same, get better, get worse, and then, and then maybe retrospect around that sum to identify are there, are there ways to morph back towards uh, something that worked previously, that could then sort of spread to the other parts of their community?
0: Yeah, possibly. I think uh, there's been a lot of change since this has been happening. Changes in team size. They've tried out different vendors. Uh, changes in direction, so it's it. I think they would have a hard time pinpointing any particular thing that caused differences. It would have to be more stable for a while before we'd really get to see that. But um, I, I mean, I, I think it's also that ultimately, there's nothing wrong with with the way that that they want to do it. It's it's not the we we know that there are. You know, there's optimizations that you can make, but ultimately, we'd certainly rather be doing it this way than doing uh, waterfall. So, uh, so it's it's hard. I mean, it's we're really into nuances to some degree of of doing this kind of uh, work. And you know, and, we, and our teams are definitely putting a lot more um, this uh, engineering rigor in place in what they do, which which gives them a lot of a lot more predictability. And a lot better quality in general, even with all this other stuff put in place. So, um, so there's other things they might point to and differences as well.
3: Sure, and I don't think there's any finger pointing that we're doing in terms of right wrong because there's lots of things that are right, lots of things that could be wrong here. It's it's just different, and so so different is fine. We we understand uh, the reasons for different, and then uh, the the thing that concerns me, I think, is. Is changing just for change, and they have a reason. So we can discuss. You, you've mentioned the reason they want some more consistency in their process, but then at least having some insight as a, as an organization and as a department, as an IT and a software development department, to be able to have some some information, some data about how some of those changes have affected what it is they're doing, and then being able to inspect, adapt, etc.
1: So I think we should also kind of delve into what is it that we think is worrisome about imposing a standardized version of agile over multiple teams. Is there, is there a problem there?
2: Right. It And uh, uh, another thing I'd like to approach to is what they're after. And it sounded like there's some feedback there with, with, uh, estimates and things like that that they may be comfortable with i mean those numbers can make people feel really comfortable and and maybe they're missing that but um that's just down the road i didn't want to lose it so i think we should hit lee's topic there first but
1: so what do you guys think what is is there anything wrong with uh, putting to, in place some particular standards around agile. I mean, to some degree, I know that we've uh, we have had these discussions inside of our company a few times, and we've we've come to where we think is a pretty good way to approach it. But you know, we're we're not. Uh, I don't think we're arrogant enough to say that we have the right answers. Um, you know, some people might be. <laughs> um, so, what do you guys think? What, what are, what are, there, are there issues with standardizing uh, around multiple teams around one version of Agile or a particular set of practices?
3: I think that that given the right reasons for doing it, that that in and of itself, having a certain uh, set of set of sort of standardized practices that you're using is not a bad thing. So it to me, it gets back to what are your reasons? If your reasons are because because I'm the director of software development and I decide what what's best for everyone, then that's no good uh, if if your uh, if reasons are we need some uh, we want we want some consistency for the sake of training across the the organization, uh, maybe for the sake of of aligning with release schedules or or doing, if you have some, some decent business related reasons, I think it's, I think it's okay.
2: I, I, I think that, you know, every team being different, some teams work better one way than another. So it's nice to have that leeway, but if you do need to have some kind of consistency, you also need to know what that's costing you. So if there's a way that you could, have metrics before and after this change Nate, i think that would be good because yes we we want consistency and that has value and there's also value to how the team is working but you got to decide which you know like a pros and cons checklist there on what you what you want to do um, but yeah. i i think consistency is fine as depending on how tight those those constraints are Right. I'm just
0: struggling with what those metrics would be because, you know, it it's hard to compare productivity because you've changed the basis on which on which you measure productivity to some degree from a you know story based or feature based cycle time to a points based, you know, and then you put you do the points at the beginning and then you you win them at the end and so that unless we maintained both systems for a time which which would be a good bit of overhead and and would have seemed sort of spiteful i think uh to do that when they had asked us to change it's hard to have that comparison i mean uh, that was my point about the quality i don't think there's a really a quality change because we continued to do things with the level of quality we were doing before so uh i don't think there's been a noticeable quality changes i wouldn't expect them to be so what what kinds of metrics do you think we could look at to compare whether it was
2: working or not i mean a little bit of what you said you did before was you tried to make every story roughly the same size and just
0: too big just making sure they're not too big was the you know the main thing not trying
2: okay to- oh not not trying to make them the same size okay right. Because I was going to say, if you're counting cycle time and you can get all of your stories to be roughly the same size, now you can still kind of count cycle time.
0: Right, right. And I and I think they just ended up since we moved over to their tracking system and their way of uh, seeing stories move, we we have just changed our basic uh, way we were managing the stories. So that's that's why I feel like it's hard to compare. Mm-hmm apples there
3: i wonder if you guys think that this is a a crazy or a dumb idea but one of the things i like to do with teams especially if they're if they're unsure about what metrics they want or they're unsure about metrics in general i like to always start with a team to track their happiness Mm. uh, from the beginning so i wondered if if obviously you can't do it in this case but maybe if you tracked happiness and I know that that doesn't necessarily tie back to productivity right, right off the bat, but I, I still think that there's there's some data there in terms of what's the bitch factor, so to speak. How much time is the team spending complaining about the work rather than the work doing the work itself?
0: Yeah, and there's something to that for sure. And and this is a good customer, and they've you know we have shared some of that type of information with them that the team felt. Like some of their autonomy had been taken away after, you know, as a reward for being successful, kind of thing. So um, they they uh, they got a chance to express that. And actually, um, there have been some cool things that the customer has done to sort of uh, try to allow for some of that. Um, they they have two week sprints, as I said, and and there's one day a week that they do planning. So you do that every other week. Um, what they said was that the same day in the inner inner Spacing weeks, um, we could have a um, an innovation day uh, where you got to you know just try out cool stuff you know go go find a new way of doing something on the app or a uh, a new um, kind of technology out there that hadn't been implemented yet and and they 've actually um, really appreciated and embraced some of those things we've found and put them in the production app uh, when it wasn 't even you know part of the plan so um so I think they've they've tried to uh, counterbalance some of those concerns about feeling constrained you know with other with other uh allowances, which I think was appreciated.
3: One of the All things right. that that I've said to teams before about in terms of standardization uh, is you know we're not going to let certain things happen on a team we're not going to let a team. Uh, and this was speaking from like an organization, an organization perspective. The organization wouldn't allow a team to self-organize itself from an agile team back to a waterfall team. That hmm. that's a constraint. You know, another constraint, Amos, and, and you might, I might be interested in hearing what you have to say about this one. Is what if a team decided, oh, you know, we're we're good enough. We're not going to use stories anymore.
2: Oh, well, that kind of scares me. Actually.
3: So, I mean, yeah. So that's sort of a constraint, right? You wouldn't want it, to let a team do that. You So you, we would sort uh, of standardize on or around the idea that we would use stories.
2: Right. And, and, and I've actually worked with a team that didn't, they, they just, they called it getting shit done and, and just everybody did whatever. Um So it didn't, it didn't work out really well. Uh, but that, so I, yeah, there are certain things that I, I think that w- we should do in order to kind of keep each other honest, or as as uh, Craig likes to say, uh, to tell ourselves smaller lies. Um, it and I think that that can help us keep moving forward, but that doesn't have to be everything. Like I I don't know how big of a change this is, Nate. I feel like. If it's micromanaging, then then that's bad. Um, How much autonomy does the team have to maybe bring back little bits and pieces of those practices and that that make that help them work well?
0: Yeah, I think the the main thing that they would sort of you know that they would push against if they could is the estimating aspect of it. You know, it feels like this is a thing we have had moved past. That we didn't need. It doesn't. It's not value added. And they were they were estimating by you know comparing general sizes of features to features they had done in the past and saying this is how long this thing took us and this is about the same size and so this is how long we think this will take us. Uh, but they were in really it was really high level and uh, the customer felt like they wanted more control to add to and remove from a feature and see how that would impact it. And that was one of the reasons they gave for wanting to move toward a more estimating smaller, uh, at a smaller level style. I think that's the main part that they, they really wish they didn't have to do. And it's hard, it's hard to do that in a middle ground kind of way. Um, if you want to have that sort of granular, um, Ability to uh, to make decisions as a as a product owner. So,
1: so I want to I want to uh, push back a little bit on some things that that John and Amos said a couple minutes ago. One of which was, uh, well, what if a team didn't want to do stories? Right. My first thought wouldn't be, oh, that's scary. My first thought would be, hmm, gee, what idea do they have to re- to replace that? I know what stories buy us. I know why we use them. What's their idea? You know, this might be a really awesome idea. Let's try that. You know, or we may l- listen to the idea and say, "Oh, that's really stupid." <laughs> um, uh, but if if I'm thinking that, I'm probably not the only one, and we would figure that out as we discuss it, probably uh, as a group. Um, but the point is, is I think. We should always be asking ourselves, even these things that we've gotten used to, like stories, right? There's no, That is not sacrosanct. Uh, we should still be questioning that stuff. If, if a team wanted to – if they could actually say that Waterfall was more productive for them and they could back that up, by gosh, I'd let them do it. If they chose to do that and they had good reason to – uh, to me agile is the very the very uh, uh, the very idea of pursu- pursuing what is actually going to be best uh, along with some of these basic ideas that came from the manifesto right um, so that doesn 't mean that that the practices we 've chosen and that we 're used to are necessarily always the right answer, but we have had years of experience to do this and that they've been consistently useful to us. so uh, it takes a bit more of an argument to uh, to change our minds
0: yeah so so I would my response to that Lee is and and we've had groups at our company who have done some of this and it's the thing is a lot of what makes agile work um, has a long- term impact versus a short- term impact and so. I it it bugged me when teams would continue we, like we're, we're really pushing teams to do experiments, you know, to to try to get better and and to try to find new things. And when they wanted to experiment with let's experiment with not pairing. Um let's experiment with not writing tests. Okay. Well, you know in the short term, you're probably going to move a lot faster not doing those things. And so what is it that you how can you have a valid experiment with some of that? And I feel like this is like a totally separate topic probably, but you know, so <laughs> oh, it's uh, a so it's deep, st- it's a deep tease.
1: Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You've that's just not- been begging to say oh, that. No! How yes. <laughs> many times can you get the phrase deep tease in, in one, one episode?
0: So, so that, that's my, that's my problem with it, Lee, is that it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, l- you're on a boat and and you say well let's experiment with uh putting a hole in the boat in this area versus (laughs) versus on the top and and see how that works you know it's like there's some that have been proven for so long that it's dumb to continue to experiment with them and not that we never want to change but you really have to have a pretty awesome idea that you probably don't want to test in a uh in a a production environment. When you're trying to build quality software, you probably want to test it in another place. If you're going to make changes on that kind of level,
1: that's a good point. And especially when you're talking about uh, ultimately for us, somebody else's money. Yeah, exactly.
2: Right, you do that on internal projects like Ace, correct?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> be sad. <laughs>
3: I, I wonder. I wonder uh, as as you were describing Nate the the way that the the client came to this decision what they wanted to gain what they were willing to give up uh, it, it sounded to me like the typical thing that we hear from uh, that I hear at least from people when they talk about why they why they want estimates why they need estimates they want they think that they're getting more predictability from the team or that they're they have a, a finer level of control to decide what should be in what should be prioritized in, what should be prioritized out, et cetera. And, and I just wonder, and obviously for the sake of, of this particular client, you don't need to push back so hard on them, but it just for the sake of us talking about it here, you know, is that are the reasons that they gave for wanting to do these things? Good reasons.
0: Again, I felt like they had, I, I understood them from their perspective and although we would, you know, we, we tried to argue that uh, we could give them the benefit that they were looking for without having to change, um, that, you know, ultimately they were asking us to do something uh, not because they felt like what we were doing was wrong, but because they wanted to have uh, more consistency and more control. And it was hard for us to argue that everyone needed to be like us and that we would experiment and figure out a way to get them what they needed when to them it was pretty clear that if they did things this way, then they could have what they needed. Even if even if there's some allusion to that, and we talked about this, so even if they hear this podcast, I'm not going <laughs> to feel like I'm I'm saying something bad about them, there, we, that there's some allusion to what they have because estimates have an element of allusion to them, um, that they felt better about. At knowing what they were getting into, being able to make those choices. So, um, so it, again, it's it's hard to really just say, oh, "Wow, you guys are really screwing this up," and and it's we're never going to recover. And you know, because we're really talking again about nuance and and differences of opinion and experience. But it's an interesting um, situation of sub optimizing uh, for for the whole or for uh, what works better for the people who are spending their money or or you know giving you the opportunity to do something and uh, and maybe there's a call for it you know maybe maybe
1: it's not the end of the world so interestingly, evolution does not uh, does not uh, make the individual better it makes the population better ah good point. So it doesn't optimize for the individual. Yep. That's why the X-Men are so awesome.
3: (laughs) They optimize for the individual.
0: That's right. And why everybody hates them and writes laws against them. (laughs)
2: You, you, you mentioned there, um, Nate, that, uh, and I blinked out now the feeling they, that they were looking for a feeling of a little bit control. And, um,
3: uh, and, and the hackles on the back of your neck went immediately. No, up.
2: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the, like, Oh, I got to control everything. But, um, good thing. You
1: Jason's know, not we, here. We
2: talked about, you, 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 you talked about the happiness metric of the team. But there's also a happiness metric of the customer, and you got to balance those two things. Sure. Um. But that that need for control, you know, and and estimating is before you were doing cycle time and stories. If we could, I I, I have we've talked about this before on here, but I think that if you could make stories that are. Um, all like a single acceptance criteria are all roughly the same size. It can kind of give them that fine grain control a little bit that they're, they're looking for, but maybe help the team feel more like they were, were how they were doing things before. I don't know. Yeah. So
0: yeah, I, again, I just to respond to that real quick, I think, I think that's right. And like I said, I think we could have come to something that they would have been happy with. The problem was, how much time would that take and could they get everybody else to do the same thing so they're not having a context switch when they're dealing with all of these different groups?
1: So, so I also want to to be a little bit of defense of the customer here and, and say that, and this kind of goes back to my original question to Nate, which is I know I have personally messed up when it comes to giving customers uh, as clear a data as I should have. When it comes to predicting how my teams are going to be producing, um, yeah, I can I can do the Monte Carlo simulations and and provide those those forecasts, but that still doesn't quite get to what the the business people often need, and it's often not just even the product owners; it's the people above them who say i've got to figure out how much money i'm going to allocate for this stuff over the next year or two years right. and and so i i have to feel for that for that side of the equation and say we have to give them that that information as much as we can and stuff like a monte carlo for the next you know month just isn't going to cut it uh so ultimately maybe this is a different podcast uh topic. But uh, ultimately, I think we have to, Known as a to deep bridge that gap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is that like five or six?
3: Bridging the gap is important. As, as you guys say these these words, I, I just immediately in my mind go to all of the uh, the, the things that, that I've sort of lived and breathed over ten years and the no estimate uh, line of reasoning uh, along with this stuff. But So getting, getting past that, you know using using uh my my mindfulness techniques, I can get past that <laughs> and then we' think think about think, um. yes exactly, <laughs> just thinking in general again about about the pros and cons of of consistency and and I want to go back to the consistency discussion for a moment because I do think. That when you're in a in a larger organization, a corporate organization, not a consulting-based organization like like most of us live in day in and day out, there's a little bit of uh, there's there's a, there's some upside to consistency because it's easier to onboard people. You know that they can you can put them all through you know a, a similar sort of onboarding process. You know that people have a certain amount of portability between teams, not because of their, not because of their their language skills, but because they know that you know we're on the same sprint cadence or we're on the same iteration cycle, and and they have the same basic building blocks that that kind of put the team together. And so there's there's some things that are just um, a given. You don't have to think about them. They're just the part of the mechanics of everyday life inside of that organization. And if you take all of that away, then you you've sort of got um, you know mass chaos, where each team has is highly optimized in a way that maybe is best for them, but not necessarily best for the organization. Which is sort of the the strata and the continuum of this discussion is how much do you allow the teams to optimize for their their performance versus the performance of a department or an organization, and. Therein lies the real, the crux of of this matter. And I just wonder what you guys think in terms of optimizing towards like the organization rather than the team. So then there's, you know, giving a little freedom back to the teams at that point and a little autonomy, hopefully enough autonomy in their minds, giving some of that back to them, say, this is like your your starter kit. Here are the agile practices that you're going to start with. Now go and you can you can do some sub optimizations as a team within this. It just you can't disassemble the whole project.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I it, I think that uh, uh, local we've seen so many times when uh, local optimization ends up causing problems um, where. You know, you can only go as fast as your slowest team, to some degree. So, it, you know, having one team racing ahead of everyone else and having all the top people on it or whatever is is ultimately not going to get you where you need to go and probably cause a lot of chaos. So, uh, the same goes for having you know, uh, you know, different practices or how you make decisions or how you how much autonomy you allow. That the autonomy needs to always be with an eye to uh, optimizing, global. otherwise you you just end up in a bad place. For
3: and sort of as an example of that, and I think this is a a compromise of this. If if you decided, or if our organization decided, not necessarily you, the organization had decided that you could only release software into production every two weeks or once a month or something like that. But your team wanted to do continuous integration and continuous delivery. So you can't, we've talked about this in relationship to continuous delivery before, you're going to be, you're going to be, you have a constraint that you can only push into production once a month. However, you could take a step back from that and do a continuous continuous delivery of your working software to an environment that is not production, but is like production. Close to production, you have beta users in there, and maybe some other stuff, so there's ways to have some of those local optimizations that still would work within inside the confines of the overall framework that the organization has set out and and doesn't do any damage to it it's almost like creating a layer of abstraction and and having an interface or so to speak between what your team does and what the outside world expects of your team. Nate, you were talking about having multiple teams may be working together and one sort of outpacing the other. How do you control for that or what can you do? And I think if you can put, even in that case, physical interfaces between those teams or code-based interfaces between those teams, sometimes that's a way to relieve some of those pressure points.
1: And there's also, there's also technical solutions for some of those as well, um, some of those interfaces between teams. And... I think that at some point we have to talk about, obviously not tonight, uh, but at some point we should talk about uh, how a higher level of the organization, at those higher levels, they should uh, necessarily reorganize to accommodate being able to do budgets uh, for an agile structure um, where you're not budgeting for – a particular feature or release or a particular product with a certain set of features. You're budgeting for a uh, a group and saying we we think that the amount of work based on our on high level estimates that this will get us the uh, the work done in the period we we want, and then we can adjust as we go and budget for uh, budget for a team, not for a product. Um, I think I think that some of those things. Would be useful to talk about at some point. Maybe out of scope for this discussion, though. That sounds like a deep tease. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for John to say it, man. I think Nate, everybody you... said it,
3: but me now. Everybody, everybody on, listening, Amos. everybody listening said it as well. And Nate, thank you for saying it. You see, I've I've seeded it, so I just can step back and now we've got like six <laughs>
1: episodes worth here. It's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> so my You know, you want to say it. <laughs>
2: I might, I might, hear deep tease. There we go. <laughs> I'm moving on. Uh, so I I you know, like the the last I think this is the last thing that I really want to say on it is that uh I think the most important thing is empowering both your customer and your team by making sure that they have open lines of communication with each other and and you know proper communication too, not like this sucks, you know, not just complaining, but, but both sides being able to come to the table and talk to each other um, continuously as the project evolves and keeps moving is going to be the number one thing to keep the team and the customer both happy and the product doing well.
3: Nate, any other takeaways or, or, or last pearls of wisdom on this topic before we move on?
0: No, I I think that's, I like what Amos said there. And uh, it is, you know, ultimately we're trying to, we want the, our software to cause the business or, or the purpose that we're trying to serve to be successful. And so while that may mean that we have to compromise what we really think is the absolute best way to do it, uh, as long as we continue to communicate that, like Amos said, and we communicate what the trade-offs are that we're making. Uh, and allowing our customer to uh, make decisions based on those trade-offs, if we lose a little bit of what we want to be able to do, that that should be okay.
2: This week's
3: hottest picks. Lee, what do you have for your picks?
1: So I've got a a blog post I thought was interesting. Um, let me see. This is actually by uh, Stefan Walpers. Uh, he's got a lot of Uh, good blog posts. Uh, This one's 22 scrum master anti patterns from job ads. So he picked out 50 job ads for scrum masters or agile coaches and found some serious patterns that uh, if you are a agile coach uh, or scrum master who's looking for a job and you see one of these things in a job ad, run, (laughs) run away. Uh, Obviously, I can't go through all of them, but I'll give you a couple of them. One of them is the Scrum Mom. Uh, the Scrum Master is removing impediments on behalf of the team. How is the Scrum Team supposed to become self-organizing if the Scrum Master handles all the obstacles? So little things you'll see inside the, uh, inside the uh, ad. Uh, the whip. The Scrum Master is expected to communicate the company priorities and goals. Um, okay, okay. Uh, hopefully those goals involve the same as your Agile values, but that is not necessarily the case. So that's something to look out for, too. So he's got 20 of these, 22 of these that uh, I thought were pretty cool. So go check them out. Got the link in the show notes.
3: Great. Nate, what's your picks for this episode? I have
0: two totally non-work-related picks. The first is the best, what I think is the best candy that there is. It always comes out this time of year, and I look forward to it tremendously. It is Mellow Cream Pumpkins. we have got one right here for the camera. Mellow Cream Pumpkin. They're awesome. I've seen those mm. before. I didn't
3: know what the, the name was. It's like
0: what Candy Corn wants to be. <laughs> so, so that's my first one. My second one is um, a podcast, another podcast that is, um, circles around Star Trek The Next Generation. And what they've done is these two guys who uh, are watching episode-by-episode episode, uh, Star Trek and then reviewing it. Um, both these guys are in the entertainment industry, so they know about things like uh, how scenes are put together and camera work and, and costuming and stuff like that, which is interesting. But they are both also hilarious and, uh, and they, they're pretty brutal in some of the things they make fun of about the uh, the, the shows. Now, they, they are very big fans. They love the show. It's not that they hate it and they're making fun of it. They're making fun of the stuff that should be made fun of because, you know, there are, there are dumb things that happen on the show. But it's called The Greatest Generation. It's part of the um, <laughs> Maximum Fun Network and uh it's the the sub the subtitle is a star trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a star trek podcast (laughs) (laughs) nice they uh they just finished the last episode of season seven the finale of the of the whole series so now the whole thing is out there i've been watching each episode and then listening to their uh podcast about it and it's just there's some really hilarious stuff in there so
3: (laughs) highly recommend great nice famous what do you have?
2: Uh, well, I am going to go get that podcast and listen to it on the way home tonight. And and I just, I just have to tell you the story, Nate. Mellow Cream Pumpkins, it was the first thing I ever won as a kid. It was <laughs> at, at a Halloween party at school, and I guessed how many were in like this giant gallon jar. Nice. And so I won a whole gallon jar of them. And the, the first one I ate out of there I thought was disgusting. <laughs> but I was a kid. <laughs> They got a big jar of sugar, and by the time I got to the end of that jar like a month later, they were my favorite thing.
0: I know. (laughs) And they only have them at Halloween, and and they're constantly sold out. I'm like, come on, you know, capitalists. This is an amazing candy. Why are you letting it get sold out? What's the problem?
2: I think the same thing about circus peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) oh man john can't even breathe
3: gross (laughs) (laughs) my favorite halloween candy you guys will probably think is gross but it's these nondescript orange and green uh, orange and black wrapped peanut butter flavored oh yeah things everybody hates them and i i eat them
2: it's the only thing they throw out at the parades here (laughs) anyway
3: (laughs) Um, i I can dig them all out of the trash cans in the neighborhood
2: so I, I just since Tice wasn't here, I wanted to channel him and have more picks than everybody else. <laughs> uh, broke so the pick limit for my for my first pick, it's the ACM Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct. Uh, I've just been reading a lot about it, uh, and it it seems interesting um, that, and I think a conversation that a lot of us should have about uh, what we do at work and and when when do you say sure we can make that concession and when should you say no and when should you step up? Um, And it talks about a lot of other things in there, but those are some ideas that I struggle with sometimes. Um, And then the second one is an article, How a Raccoon Became an Aardvark. Uh, I think it's from The New Yorker. Yes, The New Yorker. Um, And it's actually a pretty interesting story about... Uh, Brazilian raccoon... uh, It's not called a Brazilian raccoon. uh, Some kind of raccoon from Brazil. And a a 17-year-old kid in New York went and edited the Wikipedia article to say it's a Brazilian raccoon as a nickname for it. And it ended up... It's in now scientific papers and everything, this name. Uh, And there's even... (laughs) There was even at some point where Wikipedia referenced something that said it was a Brazilian raccoon, and then that thing actually referenced Wikipedia in order to say that it was a Brazilian raccoon. So, You you are fake
3: news, Brazilian raccoon. You are fake news. (laughs)
2: That's right. (laughs) And then my last pick, just for John, is Deep Teases.
3: Nice. (laughs) Thanks, Amos. No problem. I was really struggling with a pick this week, but uh a few weeks ago I got a new keyboard. It's from W A S D or WASD, I guess if you want to pronounce that initialism. I don't know if it means anything, but I got it with one of the, with these uh Cherry MX switches which have that nice travel and it's like the old old style IBM selectrix type keys. So they, you know, they feel they feel like a real keyboard, not like some of these mushy keys keyboards that we have nowadays. They're a little expensive, you know, but if you spend your whole day typing, which we all do, right, uh, having a good keyboard is important. So I like these. There's lots of them out there that, that are similar like this with the, the Cherry Switches, and um, check them out.
2: So, John, every gamer out there, when, when you said the WASD keyboard and... Like I don't know what that stands for just flipped out.
3: <laughs> I mean I know that the I know that the keys are forward, left, back and right.
2: Oh, okay, okay, that's good. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a total noob. I am. <laughs> yeah. All right, well that's all we have for this episode. Thanks for listening. Keep living this agile life.
0: This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development.
3: Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.